It's a good thing I saw that video before you all, so I don't have to cry like you guys are probably doing right now. Praise the Lord. It's good to know that though our sin may be great, our Savior is greater. Amen? If you would stand with me, please, and open your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. And we're actually going to read a connected in my Bible. I don't know if they do in yours, but verse 53 from chapter 7. When you got it, say so. All right, I'll wait because there wasn't enough souls in the room. Uh, yeah, there you go. You're there. John, chapter 8. When you got to say so. And it says, and everyone went to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for the reality that we get to worship you because of what you have done for us. You took the ugly in our lives and you made it beautiful. And we thank you that we know that we're not completed yet, but you are still working things out in us. And so we give you thanks for that. I pray for us that we would be able to be those that help others along in this journey, to see the beauty of who they are in your eyes. And Lord, to help them grow in that grace. And for those that don't know you, God, we pray that you would draw their hearts to you and use us to minister unto them. In these few moments that we have together, God, may our hearts be captivated. Lord God, may our minds be fixed on you and not distracted. We pray these things believing, and we ask you this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want you to be able to follow along in the uh, introduction of the, of the message. We want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. Uh, that's going to be helpful to you. Uh, I think it is always helpful to be able to take notes, have a pretty good memory, but I don't remember everything. And it's a lot of times I, I need to write stuff down. And so writing stuff down helps you. You can go back and reference what you wrote. Uh, and then I always encourage you. I encourage you 
to sit down with someone, right? Have a conversation. I love this video that we saw because uh, the little girl, to me, is, re is representative of what we should be for others, right? We should be there, and not necessarily with a camera, right, like taking pictures of people and trying to give them that, but we should be there trying to share this gospel with others and let others know about what Jesus sees in them and how uh, Jesus views them and how they should view themselves in light of what Christ has done. And he's done some great things for us. I don't know about you, but when I think about my before picture to my after picture, come on, somebody. Uh-huh, that, that before picture had some issues. And nonetheless, we're here this morning, and I told you last week we started this series, and we're going to be dealing with the next um, few weeks together uh, as we're walking through this series whenever necessary. And it is always necessary to preach the gospel utilizing words. It is always necessary to share our faith as children of God. And we want to keep that in mind. And so we're walking through how Jesus has encountered and how he has addressed certain people's life. And the question is this. In your outline there, why is evangelism so hard? Right? Why is evangelism so difficult? Right? I mean, think about that for a moment. Why is it so difficult? Jesus is literally, think about this, he is literally the best thing that has ever happened to me. He's, he's, he has to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. And so why would it be so hard to share his message with others? I think back when I first met, met, met my wife and her and I, we started talking. We were just friends, and for a while, uh, just friends. But I didn't realize what was happening inside my heart so much. And I had my the guy who was the best man at my wedding. I remember one day uh, we were talking, and I don't remember the exact conversation in the context of the conversation, but he mentioned something about how much I was talking about this lady named Elaine. And I didn't realize it. It was a natural thing. Why? Because I was spending time with her. I was getting to know her. There were things about her that I appreciated, that I liked. There were experiences that I, were ha that I was having with her that they were just coming out as a natural overflow. And so if we are walking in a relationship with Jesus, here's the question. Isn't that supposed to be the natural overflow? See, I think what has happened to us in many cases is that in our culture, we have been, we have been silenced in so many ways trying to teach us to be politically correct. And so, you know, we learned that we can't use Christianese around people that don't understand stuff. So you can't say praise God and work because they don't understand praise God. Hey, let me encourage you. Say praise God. And when they look at you funny, be like, let me help you to understand why I'm praising the Lord. Let me, let, let me explain my Christianese to you, right? Let me, let me explain the inside joke to you. I think that that's a way to, you know, bridge a gap. But don't let your worship of God be silenced, and don't let your communication about Jesus be silenced. So I want to say thank you because 49 of you, I think 50, somebody this morning wanted to get, get in on the sermon. I didn't get to see your response, but I got a notification that somebody responded today. Um, nonetheless, 49 of you prior to today had responded to the little survey that I did. I thank you for taking the survey. So I just want to walk with you through the responses and what happened in the survey because I promise you you would be part of the sermon. I don't know your names, but nonetheless, this is you. And so I asked you the first question. The first question of the survey was this, do you believe it's your role to make disciples? So I said 49 people took that, um, took that, uh, answered that question, and 47 of you said, yes, you do believe that it is your role to make disciples. Two of you said no, and so I think we're doing all right, right? Most of us have that down. Um, some of the questions kind of aligned, right? The, the person that had, had a struggle that was living a double life, like I looked at some of those answers, and that, those were the same people that answered the first question and said, no, you know, I don't think that it's my job to make disciples. And it's not because they don't think that's a Christian's job. It's just because of where they are in their faith right now. So really, I would say 49 of us would probably say, yes, it is the responsibility of a Christian. If I would have asked that question, they would have probably said yes. Nonetheless, 
Question number two was, do you believe you should be reaching others with the gospel? 48 of you said yes. One of you skipped it. I don't know why. I have no clue, but you decided not to answer that question. Maybe it was a mistake. Who knows? Um, the third question was, would you say you struggle to share the gospel? And after I, after I shared this question, after I read um, some of the responses, I was like, man, I should have asked this question a little bit differently, right? Because it's not just like is it, if, if you had an opportunity to share the gospel. I could have asked a follow-up question, or I could have asked it this way. Do you share the gospel consistently? Do you share the gospel often? Do you, are you intentional about sharing the gospel? Because that's different. Because like I can tell you right now, I don't have any issue sharing the gospel. I have no issue talking about Jesus. There is no problem with that. But I can also tell you on the other side of it that on the, on the practical side, I don't share the gospel enough. Think about that. And so there is a struggle that I have. There, you know, there, there's got to be a reason for that, right? So nonetheless, in the answers that I got there, 33 of you said yes, 16 of you said no that you don't have any problem sharing the gospel. And then I said, question number four, if, if yes to number three, why? And so 16 of you skipped it and said, no, I don't have any issue with that, so I don't need to answer that. But then the rest of you answered. And so these were your answers. The first one was, so if you just look at it here, um, the first answer was, we don't have any, I don't have any relationship with anyone who is unsaved. And so six of you said that about yourself. Um, we, are, we, are, we are living a double life. And so that was number two. Two of you said that there. Um, we feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. 22 of you said you feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. And I have issues with you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I think about this, right? Like you, if you've been here for like a year or some change, almost every Sunday I walk through the gospel that God is good, God is holy, that we are born into sin, that we are separated from God from our, because of our sins, our decisions to sin against God separate us from him. We cannot in any way, shape, or form save ourselves. We can do nothing to appease God, right? There's nothing we can do to appease him, nothing we can do to save ourselves, nothing we can do to make ourselves right. And Jesus came and did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He died in our place. He bridged the gap, right? He, he made us able to reach that place of relationship with God. That is what Jesus did. And so now when we put our faith, we turn from our sin, we trust in Jesus, we are now born again. We are given a new life, a new identity, and we are secured by the love of God, and we can expect an eternity with him. That's the gospel. You're, you're equipped right now. Hello. <laughs> That was easy, right? Like, that's, that's what my son says. Ask him a question. Oh, that was easy. Listen. <laughs> Everything's easy, right? I don't know. It's, it was easy. But nonetheless, right? So I want to say this to you. I just want to encourage you. I want you to know you may be, if you're one of those 22 people that said that you felt ill-equipped, I want you to know you may be more equipped than you realize. Now, you may not feel confident. That's a different thing. You may not feel bold enough. That's a, different, that's a different concept. But I believe that you have heard the gospel enough to go out there and share the gospel. You Listen, you may not have the answers to, you know, pre-post and, you know, um, pre-mid-tribulation questions and stuff like that. You may not understand Greek and Hebrew. You don't have to have all that to understand the gospel. The gospel is a simple message. 
We just shared it. I won't share it again. But here's the thing. Um, six of you also said we have no genuine concern for the lost. And so I want to tell you what I think about these questions, right? Because when I wrote these questions out, there was something that came to mind to me of all these questions and what these signify of different types of Christianity. And so for the person, I'm not, and I'm not saying that you are like this. I just want you to know that what, what this is an indication of. And so the first one was this. We don't have any real relationships with anyone who is unsafe. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. That is an example of separate Christianity. It is an example of separatist Christianity. I told you that I was guilty of that when I first became a Christian, right? Because I understood that I needed to be holy. I needed to live righteous. Therefore, what I did was I separated myself unintentionally, really, because I wasn't trying to go out there and continue. I mean, at first I was hanging out with my friends. They stopped hanging out with me, so they really separated from me. Hello. They were tired of hearing the gospel. They were tired of hearing about, you know, their sin. They were tired of that, that, that feeling of conviction. I get it. They didn't want to be around me. And so nonetheless, right, I have this situation here. I get so involved in church. I get so involved in everything that I'm doing. And so I don't have any, you know, Christian friends or anything like that. And today, I mean, I still struggle. There, there's moments like when I, where I go work out, things like that. Like those are the places where I would engage unsaved people. But I can't say like I have really close, close unsaved friends. And so nonetheless, that's that mindset there. We're living a double life. Well, that one is hypocritical Christianity. Living a double life is hypocritical Christianity. And listen, I, I just say sincerely, if that's the case, call on Jesus today. Don't, don't continue to walk a double life. Don't continue to live a double life. Like, look at the video that we saw and don't see that as just a cute video, but see it as a reality. You have a choice between your new identity and your old man. You make choices. We make choices all the time. The third one was you feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. And what that is, that is fearful Christianity. That is fearful Christianity. Listen, you may not have, I didn't have all the answers when I first became a Christian. I thought I knew it all. Hello. <laughs> I've had that problem since I was a teenager. I don't know. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was out there sharing even when I didn't know, even when I wasn't sure. And so, like I said about me speaking about my wife, when her and I were together in the beginning as friends, I was just talking to her, getting to know her, talking about her. That's what I was doing. Listen, just talk about the relationship you have with Jesus. Talk about your experiences with God. I mean, don't get crazy with people, right? I mean, obviously some people may not be ready for that, but talk to them about what you're reading in the Word. Talk to them about what you're hearing on Sundays. Like, be bold out there. Don't be fearful to communicate the gospel. And the third and the fourth one was, we have no genuine concern for lost people. And so grammatically, this is going to be incorrect, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's burdenless, so burden hyphen less. Burdenless Christianity. Probably correctly said, right? Christianity without a burden would have been the correct way to say it, but you know why I didn't do that, right? Because I only have one line. Hello. I was trying to keep a uniform. I have a problem, right? A little OCD, right, when I do an outline. So that's it. Burdenless Christianity. You don't care about people going to hell. You don't care about people who do not know Christ. It doesn't matter. You live your life. It's all about you. It's all about your blessing. It's all about what you're, what, you know, you, 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 you. Church, it can't be like that. We have to have a burden for those who do not know Christ. Here's the thing that I want you to think about. The greatest factor to the difficulty of evangelism is the spiritual battle going on for souls. You have to understand this. 
The, the greatest battle, the greatest struggle, all of those different things, being a separatist, being a hypocrite, being fearful, being burdenless, all of that culminates in one thing. There is a spiritual battle for the souls of lost people. The enemy wants to take as many people to hell with him as he can. That is his goal. That is his desire. And you and I, as the church, we have to have a care and recognize, you know what, wait a second. There is an enemy that wants to take all of these people to hell and God has called me and equipped me to be a voice a light that shines brightly in the midst of a dark world that calls people to repentance and a relationship with Jesus church there's a battle going on see what the enemy does is he infiltrates our hearts with doubts with fears and confusions that hinder our efforts and effectiveness in evangelism. And so there is a battle that is going on, and that is what we face. And so here's the thought that I have for you today. I want you to think about this. Exposed sin is a great opportunity to extend grace and mercy rather than condemnation. We're going to get back to this story, right? That brings us back to this story here. Exposed sin is a great opportunity to extend grace and mercy rather than condemnation. It is so easy, listen, it is so easy to be a Pharisee. You ever catch somebody in sin? You ever catch someone in sin? Like you catch someone lying, right? You catch someone doing something that is just bad. And you suddenly feel more righteous than you were when you entered the situation. Hello. You feel more holy because it wasn't you. They're doing it. They were the one that was caught cheating. They were the one that was caught doing whatever that thing was. And something in us wants to stone them. Come on, y'all. Something in us wants to cause them to feel the pain of their sin, right? And not, not realizing that sometimes that's just a thing that happens. I mean, I thought, I, I'm reading this, as I'm reading this story here, the first one in the book, and like I said, we're following that book. Um, we're going, I'm, I'm walking through that, right? The um, learning, the learning evangelism from Jesus. And so this first story here is one that strikes a chord in our hearts. Because I don't know about you, but I've been caught in sin before. Hello. <laughs> I, 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 won't, I won't give you the graphic details, but I've been caught. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you one part of the story. I know you want to hear this. <laughs> this is way before I became a Christian. I didn't see it as sin, but um, we were skipping school. I was about 16 years old. And we lived, we, we lived down south, and, um, and my, we, went to, we went to my grandmother's house. She's not here this service. I might not tell this story second service, so y'all get this. Because, <laughs> you know, you're never too old to get a beating. Come on, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I think I beat enough. But anyway, here's the thing. So me and two and me, me and three other people decided that we were going to cut class. So we cut class, went to my grandmother's house. There was a problem. My grandmother had this dog, and this dog, as soon as the door cracked, this dog ran. And so this dog ran out of the house when we were getting in the house because they didn't realize that he was going to, you know, he or she, whatever, was going to run out. Well, guess what? My mom lived a couple of blocks away from my grandma, right? Yeah. And guess what she sees running down the road? She sees this crazy dog, glory to God. And you know what any good daughter would do? You know what she does, right? She goes and gets the dog. Let me take her home to mom's house. Guess who's inside mom's house with his friends? Mm-hmm. I was caught in sin, y'all. Glory to God. My mom didn't beat me at that moment. I have to be honest. She, you know, anyway. I want you to remember, exposed sin is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to extend grace and mercy rather than condemnation. 
Listen, you people, you, you and I, you see people on, on Facebook, on Instagram, and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes people take pictures they shouldn't take. Hello. Sometimes they post stuff they might not want anybody else to know. They didn't realize it because they are under the influence of whatever. Or someone else took a picture. You know, in those moments that they're caught in a bad situation. What is that an opportunity for? It's not an opportunity just to ignore it. But it's an opportunity for us to extend grace and mercy to those people. And so there's so many ways that we can catch people in sin. And we want to make sure we do right. So um, say this with me. Say effective evangelism imitates Jesus. Effective evangelism imitates Jesus. I want you to write these scriptures down if you're taking notes. John chapter 5 verse 19 to 20. And John chapter 12 verse 49 to 50. And John 14, 31. I'll say it one more time. John chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. John chapter 12, verse 49 to 50. And John 14, 31. And so I want you to write those down because these are moments when Jesus was speaking about him, his relationship to the Father, and his obedience to the Father. He said things like, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. Right? I don't speak on my own authority. I speak what I hear, right? He said those words. And so it's important for us to grasp this because effective evangelism imitates Jesus. And so what does Jesus do in this situation? Well, we see here, if we look at verse um, 53, and we'll go down to verse 4 real quick. It says, and everyone went to his own house. And so this is a transitional moment in this in the story here but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in this midst they said to him teacher this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I want you to notice or hear, just, just for a moment, just in, 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 indulge me, and just think about the sarcasm that is coming from these people. They're not coming to him, you know, like Jonathan Reyes, he always calls me teach, you know, and, and he's never being disrespectful. He, that's what he calls me. He don't call me bishop. He always calls me teach, right? And so he does that. There's a respect that I know that's coming from there. These guys weren't respectful. They were saying, teacher. This one was caught in the very act of adultery. This is what Moses says. What do you say? So they come in with this sarcasm. But here's what I want you to grasp. Though they were being sarcastic, whenever people in those times, they didn't just come to hear the teacher, they came to follow the teacher. They didn't just come to listen to the teacher. They came to, uh, to, to hear what he was saying and then to obey what he was saying. It's about being disciple. Jesus was a disciple maker. That's the way that culture was. Not like our day to day. Our day to day we come, right? We'll come to church. I mean, we come to church. You measure the sermon, uh, you know, and, and was it good enough? Did the points hit me? You know, does it, is it applicable to my life? You All these other things that, you know, preachers get judged on, whatever. It's just a reality, right? That's what people do. That's what people, but here's the thing. In that time, they were like, okay, this is a teacher. We're coming to him. Well, they're going to hear from him. Well, these guys, they're being sarcastic. Nonetheless, Jesus shows us that we are to do what? We are to follow his example. And the passages that I gave you that I told you to write down, we see clearly that Jesus makes it a point that what? That we are to walk in lockstep with our God. We are to follow God in the way that we address situations. And specifically, as we are talking today and dealing with evangelism. 
We are supposed to be following the way that God would lead us into scenarios, dealing with different situations. We should be seeking what? To please the Lord. That's what Jesus was about, was he not? The vision for his life was please the Father. I want to please the Father. That is what Jesus wanted to do. Church, our vision is to what? To please the Lord in everything that we do. And so we want to please the Lord. So the same thing should be for you, that you want to please God when it comes to evangelism. One of the responses, somebody responded, they, didn't, they responded to the, to, the, um, to the survey, but they also sent me a message. And they said this to me, the only time people have been positive about the gospel message is when the person came to them. They said every time that they try to go and share the gospel with someone, they have been rejected, the door has been closed in their face, the person has been rude, and maybe that's some of your experience. Some of you are like, no, well, you know, I've shared the gospel. There have been many times that I've been rejected, but there have been some times that people have welcomed the gospel. And what I have noticed is this, is that usually when someone is hurting, someone is going through something in their life, they are more susceptible, they're more open to hearing you communicate with them. But when people think everything is okay in their life, they ain't trying to hear you. You're, you're interrupting their day. You're sharing with them something that they do not want to hear. And so, that, and so it's true, right? And many times that's what happens. But here's what I want to say. And this, listen, this cannot be said enough. Effective evangelism follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. Church, we have to understand we are not the saviors. We don't want people to be saved more than God does. We don't want people to come to the knowledge of Jesus more than God does. Therefore, God will lead us. Now, listen, I am not telling you to just wait until you are dragged, you know, to go communicate the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is be prayerful, be seeking the Lord and asking him to direct you so that way you can effectively communicate the gospel under this world. To be faithful in this area, we must be intentional in our following the Lord's leading. We have to be intentional. Again, don't just wake up, I'm going to just live my life and see if God leads me. No, no, no. You need to be seeking God's direction because what I do know is that God will lead us a lot more if we're paying attention. He will direct us a lot more if we are intentionally saying, God, show me. Because you know what happens? When you start to be intentional in your prayer time and you start asking God, God, show me what it is you want me to communicate. Show me who it is you want me to communicate with. You know what you start doing? You start being more attentive to what's going on around you. And you start being more keen to those moments. Oh, man, that's a door that's opening. And sometimes it's just a little crack. You're like, I'm going through. <laughs> It's just that little opportunity, and I'm going to run through. I'm going to go. At minimum, I'm going to stand up and start screaming through the crack. Hello. Right? But we become more sensitive to that. So the second thing I'll ask you to say after me is this. Say effective evangelism doesn't avoid the mess. Effective evangelism does not avoid the mess. Listen, we don't want to get messy, Right? What do we see? Jesus? I love what Jesus does, right? And, and, and we have this, you look at verse 4. It, goes, it, it says there in verse 4, it says, Teacher, this one was caught in the act of adultery. That's a messy situation, is it not? Now, notice, I want, you, I want you to hear what it said. She was, not that someone told us about her. No, 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 no. She was caught. Let that sink in for a moment. She was caught in the bed. I don't know where the other person was. I don't know where they're at now, right? Somehow they got away. <laughs> I don't know. The weaker one got taken and dragged in front of Jesus. I don't know how that worked. But nonetheless, she got caught in this moment. 
And they bring her before Jesus. And then Jesus, they say to Jesus, Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? I want you to notice something. They misquote Moses. So let me say this. Legalism always makes it more messy. Because Moses doesn't just say those that are caught. No, no, let me, let me read you what Moses says exactly. Moses actually says this. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress should, shall surely be put to death. That's what the text said. But they're legalists. So you know what they do? They twist the word for their own benefit. They twist the word to fit their scenario, to fit their narrative that they're bringing to Jesus this they said, testing in verse 6, that they might have something of which to accuse him. And look what Jesus does. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love that. I love that picture, right? And, 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 and you know, we don't know what Jesus was writing in the ground. My thing is this. I just think that it connects him to the mess. He's like, whatever. He goes, you know, he goes, I mean, no, you don't, you don't just squat down. I mean, they don't have paved roads back then. Hello, Right? So this is a messy, dirty, I mean, so, so he gets involved in the mess. You see the picture of God's finger, you know, writing something, right? And so Jesus is down there writing. They don't tell us what he is writing. But nonetheless, Jesus engages in the mess church. Jesus kneels down. Jesus got messy. I just shared the gospel with you. Do you not think that it was a mess for Jesus to come into this world, to live a sinless life, to die in our place? Of course there was a mess. He did that for us. He did that for all of those lost people that are out there in this world. And so how are we supposed to engage them? We're supposed to engage them by being willing to get involved in the mess here. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say effective evangelism addresses sin biblically with grace and truth. What I don't want you to misunderstand here is that sin is addressed the sin of this woman is addressed, but it's not addressed probably in the way that you would think. So I want us to think for a moment, what do we know about this woman? We don't know much about her. We know that she was an adulteress. We know that she was caught in the act of sin. We know that she was used as a tool to trick Jesus, to test Jesus, and she was left for the ultimate condemnation. That's a pretty messy, ugly situation, is it not? I mean, imagine you and your, and just think for a moment, what is your most scandalous sin? Huh. Aren't you glad for his mercy? That you weren't exposed, and I want to say that. Not everybody's always exposed. Obviously, this situation shows you that. One of the participants was not exposed. But this one was left in that situation. And so when we're thinking about evangelism, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. But there's a few things I want you to think about here. How do we specifically deal with someone? And what is this situation specifically? This is a situation with someone who is caught in the act. Someone who was caught in the act, somebody who was guilty, not somebody who's arguing with you about their sin, not somebody who was saying, oh, I didn't do that, not somebody who's denying their sin. No, 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 this is someone who's caught red-handed, someone who's probably got their head. I mean, I, was, I, I wrote a paper on this particular thing here, on this particular story here, and as I was writing it, I was like, man, just think for a moment how this woman was. She's probably half naked. She's been dragged. Uh, 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 Jesus was teaching people. So it's like I mean, if, if we were in this context here, it would be like somebody opening that back door, dragging a half-naked woman into this place, pulling her into the front here and saying, hey, Jason, this one was caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? So in front of all of these people, in front of everyone, she's embarrassed already, and now she is there, humiliated. How does Jesus deal with her? 
Does he further humiliate her? So let's look at what Jesus does. So some things, some specifics. If we're taking notes, you can write this down. First of all, no condemnation. When you are dealing with someone who is caught in the act of sin, not someone who's denying it, this is a specific thing. Remember, we're dealing with specific situations, a specific thing. This one was caught in the act of sin. There is no condemnation, right? And I want you to know there's a difference between confrontation and condemnation. You confront sin for sure. And you let that person know that there's no question that this is sinful behavior, but you don't bring condemnation. You confront sin. I'll give you another, you know, CC comparison because, you know, I got the OCD thing. The difference between conviction and convincing. There's a difference. Church, we are called to communicate. We're not called to try to convince someone of their sin. We are called to show them what sin is, not sit there and try to make them believe it's sin. We are to show them what the scriptures teach. But guess what? We cannot convict them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the reason why we have to be connected, divinely plugged in with God, and that way his spirit is moving through us, and that way when we are confronting sin, God is convicting them and convincing them that they need to be saved. We have to trust God that he's able to do that. When someone, and, and I want you to just write these verses down, John 3.16 and 17. Everybody knows John 3.16. But John 3.17 is a very important verse because it says Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. The reason why there's no, that, that he doesn't condemn is because that would have been opposed to what his mission was. Again, I'm not telling you not to confront sin. We do that. We have to do that. But we don't try to make people do other things. I want you to write down 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12. You're going to notice something really important there about the Apostle Paul. He talks about judgment. And you know what he says? He has no business judging the world. It's us that we judge. Church, we are called to be holy. If you're a Christian in here, you're called to live a holy life. You're supposed to live righteously. You're supposed to live according to God's standards, according to God's word. You're supposed to live the way that God has called you to live. But you should not expect somebody who is not a Christian to live to your standards. You should not expect somebody who is not a Christian to live to God's standards. God does not expect that. What God expects is what? Is that they recognize their sin and they turn to him for salvation. And at that point, now we have to live for the glory of Jesus the second thing you can write down is this, we need to see our sin. You see, Jesus didn't see his sin because he was sinless. Nonetheless, you and I need to see our sin. Because you know what will happen when we see our sin like those Pharisees did? You know what Jesus said? He said these words. I love these words. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Look at your own sin. Because you know what your own sin will do? It will stop you from condemning people. It'll stop you from wanting to stone folks. It'll let you know that you don't have a right. Hello. <laughs> I remember first being a Christian, man. I thought I was walking on water, y'all. I was holy. Uh, everybody else was a hypocrite. I was all in for Jesus, right? I mean, I was living for the Lord, man. I wouldn't become a Christian. You can ask my mom, my grandma. You can ask them. Without, they'll probably be a second service. You can ask, I would not become a Christian because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Hello. Huh. First became a Christian when I was reading my Bible. I was studying. I was praying. I mean, I was, I was with the Lord, y'all. I mean, walking with him. I still had issues. <laughs> I didn't realize I had issues until God started to show me my issues. 
And I started to realize where I was sinful, where my pride, my, you know, all these different things that I was dealing with, my inability to love the way that God wanted me to love, my, my struggle to forgive, like these different things. I mean, there was, I mean, I, I'm not going to name all my sins. I know y'all are wishing that I just name them all. <laughs> but they are many, praise the Lord, that he has forgiven me. And so the truth is what? Is that we all have issues, so we need to see our sin. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And here's, here again, what is your most scandalous sin? Now, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if someone knew about it and they were merciful to you, gracious to you? We would want that from them. See, here's the thing. When you and I see our own sin and its vileness, we are able to help others out of their mess. When we don't see that, we forget about where we are. We are unable to help them. Mercy and love is the next thing. Mercy and love. We are called to engage the world with the mercy and love of Christ, imitating Christ in it, not isolating ourselves from it. We are called to show the world the mercy and the love of God. We're not called to isolate ourselves from the world. We're called to engage the world with the mercy and the love that comes from Christ. And the fourth one, which is probably many of us, you know, that are more spiritual, this is our favorite one, is a call to obedience. <laughs> so I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't just leave her in her sin. As a matter of fact, can I tell you something? We don't even know how she responds to Jesus. We don't know. All we know is what Jesus says to her. Jesus says to her, where are, you, where, where, where are your accusers? Does, does anyone condemn you? No, not one. Neither do I. Go sin no more. Go sin no more. Not, all right, you're good. No, no, no. He didn't say, no, no, you're good. He said, go, sin no more. You see, when we are doing evangelism, there comes a point, and there's a point where you have to say, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not on your terms. You come to Jesus how you are, but you cannot stay how you are. Why? Because when we stay how we are, we deny the power of the gospel that saves us. And the third thing, or the, or the fifth thing, I'm sorry, third thing. The fifth thing is make the gospel attractive. Make the gospel attractive. What do I mean by that? Live your life for the glory of Jesus. You see, because we don't want to be like the Pharisees bringing people to Jesus the wrong way. We want to bring people to Jesus, living a life that brings glory to God, that we are the good news before we're sharing the good news, that we're living for God's glory. It doesn't mean be silent, but what it means is to live for the glory of God so that way people see the power of God operating in your life. Here's my closing question for you, and we're going to get ready for communion. Will you look for the opportunities to be a lifesaver? Will you look for the opportunities to be a lifesaver? Church, we live in a world that is bathed in sin. We live in a world that there are so many people who are drowning in the despair of their sin. And church, we have the life saver, which is Jesus Christ. Will you be the life vest? Will you offer that grace? Will you look for the opportunities that you can be that life saver unto other people? As we prepare for communion this morning. As we've looked at this story, this story reminds us of the vileness, the disgrace of our sin. It reminds us that, man, we are 
not only unworthy, but we are, we are not deserving in any way, shape, or form of God's mercy. Listen, the truth is, whether it was with the guy or not that she was brought before the people, here's the truth. The truth is, from a biblical Old Testament standpoint, the law that she was under, she deserved to be stoned. It doesn't matter whether the guy was there or not. If he would have been brought by himself, same thing goes. He was caught in an act of adultery that violates the character and the commands of God. And so here's what I say to you, all of us, man, all of us have been in that place where we do not deserve mercy, where our sin has separated us from the Lord. We realize that, not only that, but we also look to the beauty that we find in this story that Jesus doesn't leave this woman in her sin, does he? No. He liberates her from the condemnation by extending her grace. And he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But we know what he did for us. He already went to the cross for us. He already died for us. He already shed blood for us. He already rose again for us. And so we are grateful that he extends us grace. He extends us mercy. And we realize one thing, because Jesus not only died, but he rose again, we look forward to the day that he comes. We look forward to his return for us. We look forward to spending an eternity with him in worship, with no more fears, with no more doubts, with no more opportunities for condemnation.